Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there. Was there. So Jesus, carried as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will, be, will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman said, answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you, are, uh, you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that it is in Jerusalem, in a place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming where uh, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, He who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman. But no one said, what do you seek her? Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see the man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, Has someone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, 
my food is to the, do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his works, his work. Do not say there are yet four months, then, come, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I tell you, I sent, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others labored and you have entered into their labor. Some Samaritans from town believed in him because the woman's testimony, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came, came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. More than, uh, many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's see how culturally savvy you are. Don't do it prematurely, Carol. Back in 1964, how many of you were born in 64 or before 64? Excellent. 1969. I'm a young kid. But back in 1964, a... Uh, a new song broke onto the scenes. And this new song initially was a total commercial failure. I mean, uh, the guys who wrote the song, the guy who wrote the song and his buddy who sang along with him, it, it was a total bomb. And uh, so uh, one of the artists said about this song, he said this, this is a song about the inability of people to communicate with each other, and not particularly internationally. Because you got to think, 1964, there was all kinds of international hubbub going on. But it's not so much about what's going on internationally, but especially emotionally. So that what you see around you is people who are unable to love one another. Any clues? No, but that would be good. You're pretty savvy, Jake. What was the song? Let me give you a little bit more. And I'll try not to sing it because every time I read it, I want to sing along. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk to you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seed while I was sleeping. And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sounds of silence. Within the sound of silence. These two guys, it started off as a song from their heart, struggling and noticing in the culture that it was a sound, there was just silence. People aren't able to connect with one another. And ultimately, he said this in the last verse, Fools, I said, you do not know. Silence like a cancer grows. Hear my words that I might teach you. Take my arm that I might reach you. But my words 
like silent raindrops fell and echoed in the wells of silence. Unfortunately, this is often a sad description. The sound of silence is a sad description of the state of the church when it comes to actually sharing the gospel. Sounds of silence. And it's like a cancer that grows. Why is it a cancer that grows? Because another person does not yet know of the saving grace that's found in Jesus Christ. And so they perish apart from Christ. And it's like a cancer that grows. If you're anything like me, and you hear that we're going to be talking about evangelism this morning, immediately you go into guilt mode, right? I suck at sharing the gospel. Look at me, as your pastor, there are times that I feel extremely ineffective in my desire to witness for Jesus Christ. I have prayed for decades, I've read many books, I've gone to different training seminars, I've taken even a seminary class in evangelism, but I still often feel like I fail at just being an amazing witness for Jesus Christ. I feel like I struggle there. Even after I share the gospel with somebody, it feels like two hours later I come back at it and go, man, I should have said this. Or I wish I would have talked about this. Oh, this would have been a perfect verse if I I could have landed it here and they would have came to Christ. So we all struggle. Last week we started a series called Move and it's, it's about really bearing fruit. John John 15 says this, and these are Jesus' words, I chose you, I chose you that you should go, you should move, you should get out of here and bear some fruit. And that's even my goal here, my desire here, is that we don't just gather here on Sunday mornings and say, hey, this is a great time, I love you people, (laughs) all right, let's go home and have our pot roast. No, uh, my desire is that, listen, Jesus Christ chose you For the purpose that you should go, you should leave, you should exit these doors and be salt and light in this lost and broken world. And that you should even bear fruit in your life. The reality is, if we are not bearing fruit in our lives, spiritually, it is quite possible that we aren't following Jesus at all. And that's an indictment even against myself. Am I bearing fruit in my life? Because I want to follow Christ faithfully. And if I'm not, what is going on? Because the reality is, your life and my life will naturally bear visible fruit to a watching world, won't it? What you love will become visible. It will become technicolor. And some of you, I could... What do you love? And if you watch me, you know what I love. And some of the things that we love is comfort. Right? We, we, we build up our walls of safety and security, and we, it's obvious, man, you like your, your four walls of safety and security. Well, I, I love food. I love drink. I love socializing. I love sports. I love this. I love my work. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love this. And it becomes evident that to a watching world, what we love. So this morning, we are going to ask, in light of the gospel, in light of what Jesus Christ accomplished 2,000 years ago, what fruit should we be bearing in our lives when it comes to 
sharing the good news of Christ to a lost and broken world? What does it look like for us to bear witness, to testify to the grace of God as found in Jesus Christ? Our text this morning is going to give us an amazing picture from an unlikely source. It's a woman who is a brand spanking new convert. She is fresh out of the gates. She hasn't gone to seminary. She hasn't gotten any kind of training. She hasn't been baptized in the church. She hasn't gone to Sunday school. She is a brand new Christian, fresh out. She has almost no sound doctrine, and she hasn't been trained at all. And yet, what does she do? She evangelizes to her entire community. She shares the gospel. We have Jesus who says, listen, I am, I am the Messiah. And what does she do? She gets so excited. She gets so excited that what does she do? The one thing that she brought to the well, she leaves behind. She, she gets so excited, she leaves it behind. She goes back to her, her, to her village and she tells all the men who would normally have laughed at her or avoided her plague. He, they tell her, come. See this man who told, who saw and told me everything that I ever did. Ever did. Can this be the Christ? And as a result, what happened? They streamed out of the city. They streamed out of the city. And not only did they stream out of the city to meet Jesus, they invited him to stay for another two days. Another two days. And he spent two days there. And during that time, many more Samaritans came to believe that he is the Messiah. So at the end of that time, they proclaimed, this indeed is the Savior of the world. All because of the witness of one uneducated, ill-equipped woman. So if there's anybody here who feels ill-equipped, Raise your hand. You're in good company. And God can use you. So this narrative teaches us this. This is the main theme that we are going to pick up. God uses witnesses who are excited about Jesus. Have a harvest perspective and invite others to come, come to him. Those are the three things that we are going to see. Jesus told this woman, listen, I am the Messiah. And she had to decide, is he? Really? Is he? Or isn't he? There were a few commentators out there who said that, that they weren't fully convinced that she actually believed in the Christ. John never stated it explicitly. But we can look at her actions, right? She goes, what? And what did she do? She left and she said, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> I, I think I found the one because he told me everything that he knows about me and I never sh shared those stories. Did you share those stories? I didn't share them. He knows everything about me. I think he's the Messiah. We know, I, I believe that she believed in him because of Jesus' own self-revelation and because of the results. She immediately went to tell other people, 
So we can see a few things about how to become effective witnesses for Christ. This isn't a training session, just some facts from Scripture. First of all, we can see that God uses witnesses who are actually excited about Jesus. Just as, as Jesus told this woman that he was the Messiah, what did you see? The disciples came back from the village carrying their, their bag of uh, Big Mac fries and, uh, that they bought for lunch because they went into town. And John says that they, they marveled that Jesus was talking to this woman. Their amazement stemmed from two sources. One, culturally, cultural conditioning. None of us struggle with cultural conditioning, do we? No, that's right. All of you do. And they, didn't, but, and they also did not understand, ultimately, what is Jesus' mission? What is he about? What is he doing here? Culturally, people were not to speak to Samaritans. They were outside of the kingdom of God. They were not God's chosen people. Um, they were, uh, and on top of that, she was also a woman. So it is, you do not, as a man, talk to a woman. I, 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 I know I don't struggle with any kind of culturally, cultural conditioning, you know, and the struggle to talk with people outside of my circle. Oh, wait, I do. I grew up in a culture which, which said, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. Oh my gosh, who says that? Really think about that. The, the Dutch. But everybody has that same struggle. There, we have whole villages in the city of Chicago. You have a Korean village. You have an Italian village. You have a Polish neighborhood. You have a Hispanic neighborhood. You have black neighborhoods. You have red, yellow, black, and white. We all have our own villages. And we all have cultural conditioning and say, I don't want anything to do with you. We all have that. And we even have it here in Lincoln Way. 90%, 94% of us are Caucasian. We've got a certain little bit of cultural conditioning going on. And immediately, when any, anybody kind of steps into our zone, we get a little freaked out. Who are these people? Well, things are going to start changing. So God's people are ones who just say, hold on a second. I will not accept cultural conditioning anymore. I want to see every people from every tribe, nation, language, and tongue to be a part of the kingdom of God. I will be one who is all about, and I'm excited about seeing God's kingdom come more fully in my community, in my neighborhood, in our city, in our world. But the disciples were still shocked. Jesus, what are you doing here? She's a woman. She's a Samaritan. You know the taboos. You don't do those things. But yet, at this moment, they didn't really question him face to face about why he was speaking to her. Some say that he, they did it because they just respected Jesus. Just They respected him, and they gave kind of deference to him. But at other times, we see that they, they asked him questions right out, right out the gate. What are you doing, Jesus? Maybe they, the disciples, in, in their cultural conditioning, were just kind of shocked. They, they were struck speechless for a change by what was going on. They were watching this with eyes wide open going, what is he doing? There was just the jaw drop and the drool coming down the side. 
What is he doing? But John tells us what they were thinking in John 4, 27. What do you seek? Why are you talking with her? So John continues in this narrative. So the woman left. After they asked these kind of questions, whether in their head or to Jesus, the woman left, and she left her jar behind. She went into town and said, come, come check out this man who knows everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the Christ? And they went out of town, following her to come see him. So John doesn't tell us why she left that jar. But I think that she was so excited that she couldn't wait to tell other people. One of her most valuable, necessary tools of the trade to get water. You need water to live. To get water, she says, I am leaving it behind. I've got something far more important to discover and to share. It would have slowed her down. So she rushed back into the village to tell everyone who would listen about this amazing encounter with a stranger who uncovered her entire past. I, did, did he tell her everything? We don't know. Scripture even says that uh, there's so much more that Jesus said and did that there's not enough books out there to uh, begin to cover the news scene on Jesus. Maybe it's an exaggeration because, man, he tapped into something. But whatever the reason, he tapped into her sordid past. A woman who has had how many husbands? Five husbands. Do not marry this woman. You know, that is just a, you see it on the dating site, you say, no, not this one. She's got a history. So whether or not it is because she, she was a woman of ill repute, repute whether she, it was prostitution or just uh, a woman who committed adultery or if she was a woman who had just really bad luck that every husband died off we don't know but this woman was notorious in such a small village because of whatever it was taking place that most men in this village would have avoided her with more than a 10-foot stick you know it's like i am staying away from you any kind of contact with you would have raised all kinds of suspicions even if it was a good and proper uh, kind of connection going on. And if word got back, that they did interact with her, and word got back to their wives, that they spoke to her, they would have gotten in trouble when they got home. Yet, what happened? They listened. They listened to her and responded to her invitation to go and to see whether or not Jesus was actually the Messiah. With all of this against her, why was her witness so effective? Yes, I'm going to say, one, it is always the movement of the Spirit, right? You know, that is how God goes always before us. And He is he's softening hearts, cracking open those stone kind of hearts, and He's in our lives through circumstances and words and relationships yes but i think the answer lies in her careful way of speaking to these men her question is can this be the christ it's kind of framed as a tentative suggestion and it kind of piqued their curiosity and she deferred to their self-assumed the self-assumed wisdom of these men 
by letting them come to their own conclusion. I think the main reason, though, of this women's effectiveness was that she was excited about Christ. She was excited about Him. And these men who knew her saw that there was a radical change in her life. She used to be excited about other things. Now she's excited about this. Before she could have spoken to, uh, before she would not have spoken to any of them, but she didn't even want to speak to other women in the village, which was probably why she was getting water at this time of day. A hot time of day, she was at the well. But here she was, willing to bring up her own notorious sinful past and exuberantly telling this man about this man that she met. The change in her excitement about Jesus was evident. Oh, church. How's your excitement about Jesus? Really, how's your excitement about Jesus? I'm kind of telling right now. There's a lack of, there's kind of this gloss over, oh no. But this is not just this sermon, this is normal. If anything, I should should be hearing, ah, preach it! Come on, Paul! Yes, and tell me more! There should be a desire of, of maybe even a weeping going on. Or great gladness about what God has done in your life. This Jesus is the Messiah. Why are we not excited about this Jesus, our our Messiah? You give an hour and a half on Sunday. You can be outside in 62 degree weather. But we're here for Jesus. Friends, evangelism and sales have many differences. But there are some parallels. And one common feature is that a successful salesman is one who is actually really excited about his product. We, we have more than a product. We have the, the Savior of the world. The one who has took your feet out of the miry clay, you were stuck and you were damned to hell, but he saved you. He has given you hope. He's given you life. So here we have this woman who, the chapter before, you got this man named Nicodemus, and she, she, uh, she knew far less than Nicodemus, and she had a far worse background than him, but she was far bolder than him. Far bolder and did far more good than he did because she was actually excited about the Messiah. And she testified about her own experience with him. So God uses, friends, God uses people who are excited about the gospel. You have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Your hearts should be excited. And your lives should bear witness to that excitement. But we also see that God uses the witness of those who actually have a harvest mindset. And a harvest, not many of you are farmers. Or have come from a farming background, but a, a harvest mindset is totally different than what most of us have. In the verses 31 to 38, there's kind of a, there's a meanwhile, back at the well kind of scene that shows, up, shows us a second reason why the disciples were amazed that 
Jesus was talking to this woman. They were actually very clueless about Jesus' mission. The disciples arrived back at the well with their Big Mac and fries for Jesus, but he was not interested at all in eating their food. He wanted nothing to do with it. They urged him to eat, and what did he say? I have food to eat that you do not know about. And they immediately go, all right, who snuck back to get the brownie points with Jesus and fed him before we got back? Where, where, who, who fed Jesus? Who, who gave him this food that we don't know about? Has somebody brought him something to eat? And chances are, these guys passed this woman by as they were going in to buy lunch. They were walking into town. They kind of had their heads set about, man, we, we got to get, remember, we got to get this, this is our order. We got to get this kind of food, remember? Oh, there she is. And they probably did one of these as she was walking by. She's a woman. So they, their minds were set. They didn't speak to her. And now they come back to find Jesus speaking to this woman, much to their shock. And she leaves. So they, they get back on their mission. You got a mission? Yeah, you all do. But they get back on their mission. Their mission, namely, was getting Jesus to eat lunch so they could get back on their journey out of Samaria back to where it's comfortable. That was their mission. Get me out of here. Give me, let's feed him, shove it down his throat, let's go. Get out of town. But Jesus clues them in on his mission. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what Jesus' mission was. So then all of a sudden, as Jesus is talking about this mission, what starts happening? Out of the village starts coming men often robed white. They're walking towards Jesus. And who is probably leading the pack? The woman. <laughs> She's like, come on, let's go, boys. You've got to see this. There's a good chance that this is the Christ. And he tells his disciples at this point, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. And see that the fields are white for the harvest. And they look up and they go, you got to be kidding, what's, what's going on here? Not only was it a woman that we avoided and we saw inter had interactions with, now all of Samaria is coming our way. All of Samaria. So the disciples needed to develop a harvest mindset. They needed to understand what God was doing in this very situation. And I've often been like those clueless disciples. Focus on, on, on the natural when I should be awake to what God is doing spiritually around me. He has placed me in situations and at, at Starbucks, in grocery stores, in church, walking in my neighborhood, wherever I go. You go up to Ranch Frosty, God has planted you right there for a purpose. And you know what? The harvest is plentiful and the workers are We need a harvest mindset. And a harvest mindset puts the will of God and His work above everything else. That scares the living daylights out of me. Jesus said, listen, my, my, my mission is to do 
the will of him who sent me and to do everything that he wants me to do. And by extension, his children, our, our desire, our mindset is to do the will of God. The will of God and have his work above everything else that we do. The disciples were focused on eating lunch and Jesus focused on doing the will of the Father and accomplishing that work of the Father. We don't know whether Jesus ever got a drink of water. It's never recorded. It's not even recorded whether he ate lunch that the disciples brought back, but he saw this whole village of Samaritans coming to faith, faith in him as they discovered that he was the Savior of the world. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, right? Food and drink are secondary. Reaching people is primary. So in three short years, three short years, John 17 says this. Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Three years. Would this not be a wonderful thing to say on your deathbed? God, I glorified you on earth. I accomplished everything. Everything that you gave me to do. I shared the gospel. What's this guy's name? Anybody know? Cliff. I shared the gospel with Cliff. I shared the gospel with my neighbor across the street. I shared the, the gospel with my my friends, I showed mercy where people don't deserve mercy or grace. I, I showed it to them. I offered forgiveness. I, I, I displayed in my life the work of Christ. I accomplished everything that God has required of me. We're often, we're like the disciples. We focus on the temporal, the right now, right? Whatever is right here. We focus on this. But we're clueless as to the spiritual and the eternal. Neighborhood kid annoys you, cutting across your lawn, going over your flowers or your hostas, which will grow back anyway. Instead of using that as an opportunity to show this kid the love of Christ, you chew them out or you build a fence around your precious hostas. You put your yard above and your comfort above God's work. A person grates you with his or her obnoxious personality. You know who I'm talking about right now, right? You got you Adam automatically go, oh, he's talking about Sue. He's talking about John. He's talking about Carol. He's talking about not you guys, Bob. <laughs> he's talking about Bob. <laughs> and avoid that person like the plague. And you put your comfort above God's work. A harvest mindset puts the will of God and his work above everything else. So even church, Missio Day Church, talk to you right now. We've got to be thinking about this really in a profound kind of way as we have a congregational vote. This, 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 is, this is providential that I planned this months ago. 
and we're talking about this. Okay, what is God's will above all other things? My creature comforts my, my desires, my hopes. And there are people, the harvest is plentiful, and the workers are few. Is it here in New Lenox, or is it in Manhattan? Is it right in your own neighborhood? It doesn't matter where we go. Our call is still the same. Back to this. We've got to, I'm, I'm going get to get to my, my next major point. God uses the witness of those who actually invite people to come to Jesus Christ. John 4, 30, 39 to 42, it says, Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay. And he stayed for two days. And then what happened? Many more believed. After she planted seeds, many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that I believe. That's, that's important, but we don't believe because of what you had to say. For we have heard ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So in light of the centuries of hostility between the Samaritans and the Jews, the Samaritans' warm acceptance of Jesus is absolutely amazing. The Holy Spirit can break down any barrier, any barrier. Whatever barrier you're thinking of right now, the Holy Spirit can break down those barriers like, and it's down. So, so that any barriers that the world has erected, you have erected, our culture has erected, the Holy Spirit can break them down. So just as Nathaniel had, 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 this come, come see G, had to come see Jesus for himself, so now this woman's invitation to come. Come, come with me. The Samaritans actually came to Jesus and came to believe that he was the Savior of the world. Just notice this. Her focus, his focus is, and our focus is, focus on Jesus. It's simple. Let me tell you about the Christ. The one who the woman came to know Jesus as the Messiah who could give her living water of eternal life. She told the men of her village about Jesus as she came to know him. There was no class involved. No class. And her statement is, listen, he told me all that I have, everything that I've done. And it showed that Jesus was at the very least a prophet, but we know that he is the omniscient God, all-knowing. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about your neighbor. He knows everything about your, your family member who is far from Christ. He knows everything about your co-worker who is a devout atheist. He knows everything about them. And just after spending two days with Jesus, a privilege no other Jewish community ever had. Two back-to-back -back days with Jesus. The Samaritans came to know that Jesus is indeed more than any other prophet. He is the, their testimony is, he is the savior of the world. 
He's not only the Savior of the Jews, but to any person of any nationality, of any ethnic background, of any socioeconomic status that you, we can create. He is the Savior of the world. That should inform us even how we view world missions, right? He's not only the Savior of our nice little North American world called the United States of America. He is the Savior of the world. Therefore, we need to send our children and our missionaries and maybe even ourselves across the ocean to unreached people. This means that people are lost, friends, and they actually need saving whether they recognize it or not. We don't just need a few helpful hints for happy living. We need to be raised from the dead and be given eternal life. So in your, your witness, your testifying, focus on Jesus. Encourage people to actually read the Gospels. There's a great book by David Helm. that said, it's, a, it's a kind of a handbook of how to read scriptures with people. And we can invite them. Would you be interested in reading the Gospels with me? We're, we're not leading a Bible study. Let's just read it together and discuss it. I'll post later what that book is. But we also need to not just focus on, we also need to invite people to come to Jesus. The woman invited the men of the village. Come, see a man who told me everything. Can he, can he actually be the Christ? They went they saw, they believed. In, in, in Matthew 11, Jesus invites the burdened with sin. Come to me, all who labor or are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The entire Bible ends on that, that same note. Revelation 22. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without any price. So what is God's invitation for you today? Come to Jesus. That's God's invitation. Are you burdened with sin? Come. Are you, are you thirsty for water that will deeply satisfy you, not just for this moment, but for forever? Come. Jesus gives water, living water, freely to unworthy and unlikely people like this woman at the well. And all we have to do is ask Him for it. And when they come, he uses them as effective witnesses with a, 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 a harvest mindset. And it ends up that these same people invite other people to come to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, there is not one word in Scripture that is not for our good.
There are not chap- one chap- there's not one chapter in Scripture that's not for our good. It is all for our good. To build us up, to equip us, to train us, and to send us out to bear fruit. Father, I, got, I pray that Missio Dei Church and all who are hearing these words this morning will take these words that you have given us For they are inspired. They are without error. They will never fail us. That we'll take these words, Lord, apply them to our hearts, and you will encourage us and build us up and go with us as we take the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and broken world. Lord, I pray that there will be a movement of gospel stories that start from this day, April 22nd, 2018. Lord, that we will hear of stories of men and women and children, unlikely people from different ethnicities and socioeconomic backgrounds, Lord, coming to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, recognizing that He, you, Lord, are the Savior of the world. You are the Savior of the world. So God, give us a passion that is fueled by the God. Give us a harvest mindset that lifts up our eyes from the temporal to the spiritual and eternal. And God, give us a boldness and a courage to actually invite people to come to you. Make it so, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.